The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. So have you gotten your COVID-19 vaccination yet? That's right. We're going down to COVID town on the Adrian Slade show. So uh, just wondering if anyone out there has gotten their COVID-19 shot. We're not going to reach herd immunity until we vaccinate everybody. That's what Dr. Fauci always says, right? Well, there's a lot of people that are skeptical. And look, I don't have a problem if you want to get your COVID-19 shot. More power to you. I mean, full disclosure, my wife got one. She got both shots. She got the Moderna shot. Now, there were some side effects. The first shot she got uh, a couple days after, her arm got a little red, a little hot to the touch. She was a little lethargic. Second shot, bigger rash. She was knocked out for three days. And now you would probably wonder, well, how come she didn't listen to you? Being in the school you know, the, the education industry, along with the fact that her parents, who are big time Trump supporters, but also completely petrified of coronavirus, really wanted to get their vaccines so that they could resume to normal life because they're looking at it from a surf, surface level. They're basically going, uh, this thing hit us. I'm of the age where it could be detrimental to my health. So uh, let me go get the vir- the vaccine, and I'm good to go. Even though we're learning that that's not really how it's going to work. But uh, we had that issue in within our family, and my wife was so worried for her parents that she said, look, I'll take it, and I'll deal with the side effects and kind of be the guinea pig for my parents to say, hey, this is what I went through. It's up to you if you want to go through all this. Me, on the other hand, and I'm getting pressure from them, I'm not taking it because not because I feel like that, I, that I'm afraid to take it or if I, I'm skeptical and I think this is all bunk, which you know I don't think it's bunk. In fact, this show is dedicated to David Olson. I think he goes, I think he went by on Twitter at Hyperion1592, I believe it was. Um, I just know when I see Hyperion, I knew it was David. Uh, he passed away from complications from pneumonia and COVID-19. He was a bigger dude, had some small medical issues, but he fell into that category of at-risk individuals. So I don't take it lightly. I'm not sitting there thinking, okay, uh, this is all a scam. I think parts of it are scammed. I think parts of it have been exploited. And that's kind of what I want to cover. I don't have confidence in what these people are doing because I feel like a lot of this is overreaction or ulterior motives. And apparently I'm not the only one. Apparently there's a lot of skeptical people and they want to tra- they want to say it's the Trump supporters that are skeptical. This from the Washington Post. Um, a focus group of vaccine hesitant Trump voters insisted to politician and pollsters this weekend as public health leaders rush to win over the tens of millions of Republicans who say they don't plan to get a coronavirus shot that they weren't trustworthy of the results. 
If those voters follow through, it would imperil efforts to achieve the high levels of immunity needed to stop the virus's spread in the United States. Experts fear. We never know who these experts are, but just experts fear. You know, anonymous sources giving telephone conversations of Donald Trump and the Secretary of State of Georgia out to the Washington Post. They're a beacon of credibility. But anyways, quote, these people represent 30 million Americans. Without these people, you're not getting to herd immunity, said Frank Luntz, a longtime GOP pollster who convened Saturday's focus group over Zoom. The group followed what Luntz characterized as a remarkable arc. By the end of the two-hour-plus session, all 19 participants, one dropped out early, said they were more likely to get vaccinated, and Luntz said he had begun nationwide polling to see what messages resonated with the broader population. Because Frank Luntz is now, he is now the disciple. He is out there. He's going to change the minds. He's going to lead those to the Christ of vaccinations. He said, this will be my most important work this year. I am determined to crack down the vaccine hesitancy code and help save thousands of lives. He's going to redeem them and bring them into glory. And I mean, why can't we trust the government on this? Have you seen the video of Joe Biden where he's taking an interview and it looks like a green screen? His hand goes right over top of a microphone and he's outside It looks really bizarre. It kind of looks like if you're making a video and the green screen kind of glitches in a certain spot and suddenly your hand is going over top of whatever was green screened and people are out there going, oh, you know, it's just a technical glitch, just, you know, optical illusion. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he was six feet away from the guys holding the microphones, his hand would magically go over top of the microphone being six feet away. It's not like they haven't over-exaggerated all the measures that we're supposed to take, wearing masks all the time in, in interviews, uh, whenever they had debates or even town halls, they had to be like 800 feet away from each other. I mean, Kamala Harris is on one side of the stage, Biden's on the other, Anderson Cooper's way off in left field trying to interview uh, Biden, I think he's got like a can, you know, with, uh, with a string attached to it. They're, they're talking through the cans. I mean, it was ridiculous. So for them to say that this is some optical illusion where the hand goes over the microphone, oh, it's because he's the way the camera was set now. Because the other thing was there was only one reporter asking questions. You mean to tell me there wasn't a ton of them talking all over top of themselves, trying to get the word in edgewise so that their question can be the one that is, that is, uh, you know, counted on and asked. And then when he goes into Air Force One, or actually I think it was the helicopter, I think it was Marine One, all the reporters stand, you don't even see him go in there, and then the camera pans away. It looks like there is a video for the green screen, and he's just wherever he is trying to act like he's in that environment. So do you think I'm going to assume that what they deem as being necessary is something I should do? Maybe Droplet Joe can convince us. Have you seen Droplet Joe? He looks like a Klansman with like, uh, he looks like, like a hand sanitizer or a vaccine bottle. I don't know. It's really bizarre. But it was really a poor man's stunt. I think it was in Brazil. They're trying to convince people to take the vaccine by having Droplet Joe show up. And Droplet Joe uh, it sounds like the appropriate name for our current uh, Alzheimer's in chief. But 
Droplet Joe may convince us all to get vaccinated. But Fauci's out there and he's saying, you know what, Trump, he's got to, if Trump facilitated the vaccine rollout, why wouldn't Trump supporters want to take part in it? He said Trump needs to urge these people to take part in the vaccine rollout. So maybe, uh, you know, us plebes, you know, all the MAGA plebes, the sheep of MAGA, we just need Donald Trump to tell us, yeah, you should do it. Fauci warns another COVID-19 surge urged Trump to tell supporters to be vaccinated because we really need the almighty Fauci to coax Trump into getting us all on board. I mean, like my friend Peculiar ba- uh, Baptist tweeted, said most people are not in danger from the coronavirus, so they're assessing their own risk. The COVID vaccines are not vaccines. They are gene therapies. And we're going to get into that because if you think about it, the design behind it, which we looked up when my wife was getting ready to take it because I was trying to tell her, look, this isn't a typical vaccination. Vaccination, typically, they give you a small version of the actual virus so that your body can fight it off. And enough people are given that little dose of the virus in advance of what the season would be, so then enough people would reach herd immunity without actually it hitting them hard, and suddenly we've stunted the outbreak. These are different. These are mRNA vaccines. And actually, Susan J. Russell, MD, PhD, back in December 11th of 2020, said approved mRNA vaccine for COVID-19 is a milestone for gene and cell therapy. Drew Weissman also said this, fulfilling the promise of gene therapy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really insane because what it does is it's supposed to be some protein that activates your, or it's supposed to be some, some R, mRNA thing that activates your protein to create cells that will fight off certain things, but it's a gene thing. It's not your traditional vaccination and now they're wanting to do that for for the kids under six they're doing a pediatric trial of this from WHAM URMC to take part in pediatric COVID vaccine trials the University of Rochester Medical Center will take part in upcoming pediatric trials for the COVID-19 vaccine URMC says it will take part in phases two and three of Moderna's pediatric vaccine research Health systems affiliated with the trial will be testing the vaccine in children between the ages of six months and 12 years. These are the children that it, is, it doesn't affect hardly at all because of their immune systems, their age. But yeah, we have to pretend like this is something we all have to go through or we won't be able to go to a restaurant. You know, we won't, we could, we'll have to hold up our COVID-19 vaccination card on Instagram. Hey, look at me. It's like the ice bucket challenge. I'm out here showing my HIPAA, you know, uh, document out to the public because look at me. I'm a part of the team. I'm vaccinated. You know, it's all BS. And it really gets more crazy when you hear the clip of Charles Payne from Fox News and he's talking to Marty Macri from John Hopkins University about how, we, you know, this could get a little overblown if we don't watch it. But we also see the vaccine rollout and we are so head and shoulders above any European nation, significantly above China. Is there a danger in losing credibility uh, when, when the medical establishment 
you know, makes these sort of warnings to us. At some point, maybe, maybe we may need the warning, but it doesn't. It feels like they're walking a, a really tight rope here. Well, good to see you again, Charles. You know, you can only cry wolf so many times. And the reality is we're very different from Europe. It used to be that we were lagging behind Europe about four to six weeks. And whatever happened there was a preview of what was going to happen in the United States. But things have really changed since then. Now we're ahead of Europe. And if you look at Europe, they have much lower rates of natural immunity. And they also have lower rates of vaccinated immunity. So they have more people susceptible out there. Now, if you look at our situation, when um, you have a case today, it's very different from a case in the fall or from the spring of last year. So I don't think it's honest for public health officials to sort of use fear to tell people we could flare into another surge. There are fewer susceptible people left out there. Now, we need to be vigilant with the new strains for sure, sure. but we're doing a lot better with the vaccines. I, you know, I hate to bring this into the conversation, but it does feel like the element of fear is, is a political tool right now with all of the bills swirling around. We just got the $1.9 trillion covid rescue bill there's another infrastructure bill and there may be others after that and it feels like it's going to be tough to sell them uh, with all the money slossing around here with people getting healthier unless you still sell that element of fear and i would hate to see that interfere with pure public awareness about things like the vaccination and reopening that's right, Charles. You know, if you could look back on, say, what Michael Osterholm, who's on the Biden COVID task force, said at the end of January, he said the darkest days are still ahead. Turns out that was not true. Remember the twindemic, how influenza was going to combine with COVID and cause a you know catastrophic uh, epidemic from those two in combination? Didn't happen. We didn't have flu that year. And remember the surge on top of a surge that was supposed to happen over the summer? People are getting uh, a sense that the risk is declining. And they're actually correct. And I think a lot of this stuff is causing people to lose credibility with the public health community. Yeah, that's Dr. Marky Macquarie from the John Hopkins University. And he's telling us that a lot of people are skeptical. I mean, we've actually moved ahead. But then for some reason, we are wondering why people like myself would be skeptical of these things. Maybe it's because we find such solace and such confidence that an individual like Bill Gates had when he's talking about the FDA and the testing and the side effects of these vaccinations, you know, he just exudes such confidence to the point where I'm convinced, I don't know about you, he sounds pretty dead on. He sounds like he knows what he's talking about. He's not stumbling, bumbling, fumbling over his words. He's not pulling answers out of his rectum. He's not pulling his rusty sheriff's badge out and saying, hey, look at all this stuff. He is just giving us the most scientific, confident answer to the side effects of any sort of vaccine. For the Moderna vaccine sound concerning. We looked. After the second dose, at least 80% of participants experienced a systemic side effect, ranging from severe chills to fevers. So, are these vaccines safe? Well, the uh, the FDA not being pressured will look hard at that. The FDA is the gold standard of regulators uh, and their current guidance on this, if they stick with that, is, is very, very appropriate. Uh, and, you know, the, it, the, 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 the side effects were not super severe. That is, it didn't cause permanent health problems for uh, 
the things there. They, you know, Moderna did have to go with a fairly high dose. And so, uh, you know, to get the antibodies, some of the other vaccines uh, are going able to go with lower doses to get uh, responses that are, are pretty high, including the the J&J and the Pfizer. And so there's a lot of characteristics of these vaccines. Um, it's great that we have multiple of them uh, that but are Bill, going out there. And, and yes, I you, think you know the data the better than I do. But the bill, Bill, the, the data showed that everybody with a high dose had a, a side effect. Yeah, but some of that is is not dramatic where, you know, it's just you know, super painful. But yes, there we need to make sure there's not severe side effects. The FDA, uh, I, I, I think, will do a good job of that, uh, despite the pressure. Yeah, Bill Gates sounds really confident. I mean, the guy who couldn't even get Windows to stop crashing or to stop viruses from infecting your computer is going to tell you uh, that the viruses are a-okay. Sounds pretty solid on that. Um, from KUTV. ABC News, no, CBS 2, Utah woman, 39, dies four days after second dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Autopsy ordered. Salt Lake City, during a KUTV investigation into COVID-19 vaccine side effects and where to report them, we found four reported deaths filed by Utah families and their caregivers to the CDC's Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System. One case stood out. A 39-year-old single mom from Ogden who died four days after her second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Her family, who is now waiting on an autopsy, held a celebration of life this past weekend. Cassidy Curl, by all accounts, was healthy, happy, and, quote, had more energy than just about anyone around her. Her family told Two News, and she had no health problems or pre-existing conditions. Alfred Hawley, a retired Air Force Base fighter pilot, is a military man who was known for risk and loss, of his, and loss his entire life. He's taken it all in stride until now. An hour before his daughter's celebration of life this past Saturday, he sat down to talk about his baby girl, the one who always wore makeup to cover up the freckles he loved so much. Quote, I'm in a state in my life where I'm okay with that emotion, he said, as he wiped a tear from his cheek. Not the first and not the last. She was one who promised to take care of me. The death of his youngest daughter came out of nowhere in a year where his family has already suffered imaginable grief with three funerals before Curl's uh, in the past 370 days. Four days after Curl's second dose of the COVID-19 vaccine, she was gone, dead, before most of her family could say their goodbyes. Holly woke up on Thursday morning to his daughter asking for help. She came in early and her heart was racing and she felt like she needed to get to the emergency room. Carell and her nine-year-old daughter, Amelia, lived with her parents. They'd been only one family under the same roof since Amelia was born. Mom and dad, grandpa and grandpa, always close by when they were needed. Holly, now retired, spent a lot of time with his girls, Carell said. She got sick right away, soreness at the shot location. Hmm, sound familiar? Then started getting sick, started complaining that she was drinking lots of fluids, but couldn't use the bathroom, and then felt a little better the next day. It was her second shot. The first came with a sore arm, but no real side effect or issues. Curl was the first to get the, in the family to get the vaccine, much like my wife. She was a surgical tech for several local plastic surgeons, and the vaccine was part of the job. Hmm, I wonder if there's a lawsuit there. She stepped up to get the shot without hesitation, her family said. 
she was absolutely fine with getting it. In fact, she told us, it's fine. You guys should all get it. The day her sister got the second COVID-19 shot was a normal one for the conversations throughout the day, Kirsten Carell, her sister, had said. They had gone shopping. She was fine. And then she started not feeling so great in the evening. Um, yeah, these vaccines are still experimental. Sorry if I don't want to be a United Nations lab rat. I mean, yes, there's a risk in taking the vaccine, just like there's a risk in taking your chances of being out in public. But the difference is, is that you're taking your chances with something that has little testing done to it. No FDA approval. People are calling it gene therapy versus taking your chance at what? Natural herd immunity, which has been around for centuries. Now, the interesting part is Mr. Dr. Fauci, the almighty Fauci, the all-knowing. Well, Lord Fauci kind of gave up the ghost on some of what they're doing here because he basically likened the lockdowns and the measures that they took and the, and the vaccines, uh, the, the, the reaction to it on a global scale, akin to what they would need to do with climate change. You know, when you think about sadly having to prepare for this again, right? And I know there's a lot of folks who, who think that, you know, due to climate change and due to the globalization in general, it's inevitable we're going to deal with more and more viruses like this. Um, the biggest lesson you're, you're going to take away to prepare for the next one. You know, there are a couple of lessons, Chuck. There are, there are lessons domestically. There are lessons public health-wise, scientifically. Let's take global to begin with. We have to have a better global health security network of interconnectivity, of communication, of transparency, so that we are talking to each other all the time and know what's going on. We also have to have a continued investment in the science. If you want to look, Chuck, at one of, that the success story in this terrible year mm -hmm. has been the extraordinary, unprecedented advance with the vaccine, where, you know, uh, in January of 2020, we started the process, and 11 months later, we had a highly efficacious vaccine yeah. going into the arms of individuals, which is going to be the answer to this, together with public health measures. So keep the science up, continue to support the public health infrastructure, and remain global in our interactions. You know, as I've said so right. many times, a global pandemic requires a global response. Let me go to uh, what the... See, the big lie here is the same big lie they used in the, the migration out of Syria and the reason for the bombings in Syria. It's the same lie that they're trying to give you about the border surge. It's climate change. Climate change is causing all these pandemics, and so we have to have a global union so that we can discuss health policy. Climate change is causing droughts in the Middle East and causing up unrest in Middle Eastern countries causing Syria to go ape you-know-what and have half its population just up and leave until the bombing ends, to which they magically all came back. Climate change is the reason why droughts were happening in Ecuador and Guatemala, but we were told it was unrest and violence and what have you when it was under Trump. But climate change is the reason why farmers had to leave and migrate north for the winter. So they're migrating into the cold of the winter 
but they never migrate south. You know, if you think of birds, they migrate south for the winter because it's nice and warm, and then then they fly back north. That's migration. Uh, migration doesn't mean you just go somewhere and never leave. That's not migrating. That's relocation. But everything has to be under the guise of climate change and this entire lockdown. The World Economic Forum had the video that said, hey, thanks to the lockdowns, we can listen to seismic activity. Things were quiet. It was a new age. And it was all to help climate change. When you're out there losing your business, your family's getting screwed financially, your kid's well-being is just going off the rails, the kid, mental health going insane, and you're having to sit there trying to work from home while your kids are having to learn from home and you're not able to work, and the government's going to bail you out, although they're not efficiently doing it, all in the name of climate change. And because of that, we've reduced our carbon emissions. Isn't that great? These people are frauds, and they're basing everything they base on, uh, they're basing it all on this primitive cli- premise of climate change. So now, do we get the blessings like we got from President Biden, where he said, hey, if, you, if we do it together, he's like Stuart Smalley meets like a dementia patient, you know, he's like a self-help coach that can't even help himself out. He's like, hey, if we just do it together, I know we can do it. I know we can do it. Come on, man. Look, here's the deal. We can do this. If we do it together, you might be able to have a barbecue in your backyard with a couple people. So Lord Fauci is going to tell us when we can have an indoor wedding. Quickly, we know President Biden said at backyard gatherings. Um, I've got a, a staffer or two that wants this question asked of you, and I'm sure they're not alone, which is when can people plan an indoor wedding? You know, that's a, that's a good question, and I think that's going to be within a reasonable period of time. This you notice year? what the CDC is doing? They gave, uh, excuse me, I didn't hear what this you said. This calendar so, year? What, what time of the year? I, you know, I, I can't give you that exact date because it's going to absolutely depend, and this right. gets back to our, our conversation a minute or two ago. It's going to depend on the level of infection in community. If we plateau and stay at 60,000 a day and go up with a peak. I mean, you can make no prediction. If we keep going down and get to a very, very low level, when we're there and we have a good proportion of the people vaccinated, I think you're gonna see weddings in the normal way that we've seen it within a reasonable period of time. But there's always the caveat that it's not gonna happen if all of a sudden you have a surge. So be careful in the next month or two for sure anyway. Dr. Fauci, as always, sir, thank you for coming on, sharing your expertise with us. and Well, thank you, Lord Fauci, for your blessings and your precision in telling us when things can get back to normal. You know, this guy's a fraud. He's been a fraud. We talked about it, and we're going to have a guy who developed the PCR testing, a clip from him showing how much of a fraud this guy is. But before we get to that, we have to look at, what the CDC is warning. See, everybody's getting really bent out of shape because Florida is excelling. They've been trying to destroy uh, Governor DeSantis down in Florida. They've been trying to act as though he's been reckless and that he isn't taking things seriously and people are going to die and what have you. Well, spring break is coming up and the videos and the kids and all of this is going to be all over the place. But the CDC, they're warning, don't do it. Don't gather 
Don't put yourself at risk. We have seen footage of people enjoying spring break festivities maskless. This is all in the context of still 50,000 cases per day. Equally concerning are the resurgences we are now seeing in some European countries, countries that have had strikingly similar trends in surges during the pandemic as the United States. Each of these countries has had nadirs like we are having now, and each took an upward trend after they disregarded known mitigation strategies. They simply took their eye off the ball. I'm pleading with you for the sake of our nation's health. These should be warning signs for all of us. Yeah, see, the CDC doesn't want to give up the ghost on the ruse. The CDC is right in line with the WHO. The WHO, a world United Nations organization purchased for by the by by China, you know, uh, it was a Tedros, the the head of the World Health Organization, is an Ethiopian politician, and China has bought Ethiopia and many African countries through their Belt and Road Initiative. The the CDC is just as compromised. If you remember, there was a group of resistance scientists within the CDC that hated Donald Trump. They're trying to push the ruse. Retfield, the head of the CDC, is the guy who was out there saying, oh, vaccinations, eh, they're okay, but it's better to wear a mask than the vaccine. Really? The vaccine is what everybody's shooting for as far as the news media narrative goes. Well, Retfield, we're going to get into him in a second, but, you know, the CDC, they're the ones that change guidelines on whether or not you should wear a mask. You know, they've they've shifted the goalposts back and forth. Uh, I think they even had something on hydroxychloroquine, which we found out now is A-OK. It's cheap. It's a good prophylactic, which means you can use it in advance if you're trying to ward off the possibility of getting it. Um, yeah. The CDC is compromised just as much as the World Health Organization. This is the biggest gaslighting campaign in global history. And they've made everybody step in line and hold up the narrative. And the CDC, Mr. Retfield, head of the CDC, along with Dr. Burks, we're going to get into this on the other side of the break. Um, he's got a credibility issue over something that happened in the 90s with HIV. And also, Dr. Fauci has credibility issues, which we've known. We did a whole podcast on it, but we're going to revisit some even deeper uh, credibility issues, one of which is a guy who created the PCR test, and he's actually, he passed away in 2019. He's got some choice words for Dr. Fauci. And then we have an interview with, of all people, a Mexican comedian who Dr. Fauci thought he was going to get a nice, glowing interview you know, he's in friendly territory. Come to find out this guy pulls no punches and really puts Dr. Fauci to the test. We'll get into that back in just a moment. This is Adrian Slade. I'm not asking what's in the, in the, in the infusion. I'm not looking up all of the ingredients in the infusion. <laughs> I am sticking out my arm. And I am taking the infusion. She's going to take the infusion, no questions asked. I mean, that's, the, that's akin to saying, I'm not asking what's in the Zyklon B. What ingredients are in the Zyklon B? I'm just going to shower in the Zyklon B. And if you look behind her in the video, obviously this is audio, but in the video, Andrew Cuomo is standing behind her. I guess he wanted to see if she would take the entire infusion 
eat the entire sausage in front of him. I don't know if I should eat the whole sausage in front of you, but I'm definitely going to eat it. No excuses. And actually, judging by the looks of her, <laughs> that sausage doesn't stand a chance. The waiter can't even make it back with the freaking mustard before she engulfs the entire thing. But we just have to assume the vaccine is infallible. It's safe. It's beyond reproach. I mean, think about what we're dealing with here. This is what uh, a, a doctor posted online. Just remember, a vaccine has a specific legal definition. These are not technically vaccines. They are gene therapies. It was never legal to test them on humans until the emergency use order, which we'll get into here in a few minutes, was put into, put into effect. Nobody has a clue what the long-term effects will be. We are in the largest human biological engineering experiment ever done, and almost nobody knows it. It's unreal, and they're really dead on the money with that. Look what's going on with AstraZeneca. I mean, AstraZeneca was causing all types of issues in Norway. Listen, is three healthcare workers in Norway who had recently received the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine are being treated in the hospital for bleeding, blood clots, and a low count of blood platelets. Norwegian health authorities said that's because there's issues with that vaccine. And in fact, it's actually gotten even crazier because an EU regulator found that AstraZeneca, oh, the vaccine is safe, but a link to rare blood clot, uh, clot cases can't be ruled out definitively. But then what are we going to do? <laughs> well, the U.S. decided it's going to send millions of surplus doses of AstraZeneca coronavirus vaccine to Mexico and Canada. Here, you guys take on the blood clots. Italy's going to restart their AstraZeneca vaccinations. I mean, this is what we're dealing with. It, none of this makes sense, and none of it can be trusted. Or if it is trustworthy, why are we not asking questions about it just for the sake of, of vetting and skepticism? But the narrative has to be, oh, it's got to be forced vaccination. It's always got to be. Forced vaccination. I mean, it's, it's truly crazy how these people have absolutely no way of applying critical thinking. Um, Ken Klippenstein, I think he's from The Intercept. He said, vaccines should not be voluntary, but y'all aren't ready to have that conversation. Okay, so we're just going to take away your natural rights through lockdown and through all of this panic porn and overreaction, and then we're going to benevolently sell them back to you in exchange for being an experimental guinea pig. And this is Stephanie Weiss. She's with, uh, she goes by at Ecosexuality, so you know what this chick's all about. <laughs> she's all about the environment, and I think she's a writer too. I can't remember for which publication. I'm ready. Send all the refuse. Oh, the, I'm ready. Send all the refuseniks out on a garbage barge, or at least stop them from entering all public and private spaces. They don't deserve to mix with those of us who care enough about the community to get vaccinated. When there is a deadly virus, vaccines should be mandatory. Really? Should they? If they are mandatory, then that begs a question: Why is why is it that the Democrats are blocking a GOP bill? <laughs> this is actually in the Daily Caller. They're blocking a GOP bill requiring illegal immigrants, a.k.a. migrants, to test negative for coronavirus before being released. I mean, are you going to stick them on a garbage barge? 
They're coming across the southern border in droves. Are we going to stop them from coming in, put them on a barge, build a wall? No, because we're allowed to let the migrants come in untested, or if they test positive, eh, just send them out. They're okay. They're migrating. You know, the drought has made them leave Ecuador, which is complete and utter BS. So the freedoms that they have taken control from you, they're going to allow to give them back if you comply. You just have to purchase your freedom back by becoming a human lab rat for their experimental gene therapies. <laughs> I mean, so the problem that we're running into is credibility. And this is the reason why there are people such as myself, many other people on the right that are really on the fence as far as what we want to do with coronavirus vaccines, because credibility is in short supply from all the institutions we're supposed to gain credibility from. First, you have this gentleman, Dr. Eric Ding. This guy is an epidemiologist. He's somebody that was sounding the alarm, right? This guy is a piece of work. He's been all over Twitter. Um, he has nice little graphs that have absolutely no type of uh, data to support his little charts and, and upticks and what have you. Yeah, he's a health economist, health policy justice senior fellow from Harvard, John Hopkins. Oh, yeah. And remember what Harvard did for us. I did a whole podcast last year on Harvard and how they were responsible for not only working with China with their their bio uh, uh, research, but then they also were the reason for the lockdowns because they were one of the first universities to shut down. Sounds like Harvard's in on it. John Hopkins, even though we had that gentleman earlier uh, with Charles Payne talking about exhaustion of the vaccines, John Hopkins was also involved in the World Economic Forum, Bill Gates Foundation Event 201 pandemic drill that they did two months before the actual pandemic happened. Amazing timing. Eric Ding, Dr. Eric Ding said, warning from CDC director Rochelle Walensky warns about maskless spring break goers. They could trigger another nationwide COVID-19 surge. I'm pleading with you for the sake of our nation's help. So we just played that clip a little while ago. But this guy, <laughs> Jordan Schachtel, has pulled out some information on this and call, calling this guy a salesman posing as a medical doctor and a virology expert. Dr. Ding recently appeared in a Biden super PAC ad wearing a white coat, giving off the impression that he is an expert and a qualified doctor. In fact, he's a nutritionist who dropped out of medical school. I mean, he is a political operative impersonating a medical professional. And what's even crazier is he said, we can now confirm uh, Dr. Ding, the chief COVID-19 panic salesman on social media, quietly moved his family to Austria in the fall so that his kid could attend school in person. Yet Dr. Fing has been relentless, a relentless proponent of school closures here in the United States. The reason why he's able to do so uh, is because of the fact that he has family that lives in Austria. People are asking, uh, why Austria and not Florida? Ding's wife is Austrian. Um, also, through a form of uh, Faucian reasoning, Ding family claims COVID is worse in the United States, which makes schools unsafe, and they're not, but Australian schools are safe due to better COVID policy. So that guy's a fraud. And then we can look into what happened with uh, the CDC director, Redfield, back in the 90s. He's got a credibility issue, too. So that begs the question, should we be listening to what this guy is telling us? 
CDC Director Redfield, before he was a top bureaucrat, was found guilty of falsifying data to make it look like his HIV vaccine candidate worked. His accomplice was Deborah Burks. Remember, she's the face shield lady with Fauci. The public health industrial complex is like a pond. Scum rises to the top. This is Dr. Benjamin Braddock, and he cites a memo from the United States Air Force back in 1992 going with, it was a recommendation by the group Public Citizen on behalf of Representative Henry Waxman to the Subcommittee on Health and Environment dated June 7, 1994, that he had wanted to uh, look into the whole thing with uh, Retfield's lying and, and his manipulation of data. Um, because what he did was really, uh, truly astounding. From the Air Force memo, Retfield again presented data in an incomplete and misleading fashion, despite um, assumptions that his medicine in general was meant to be effective. So here's what we have from the public citizen uh, report. So we are, we are writing to request that your subcommittee hold a hearing as soon as possible to investigate charges of grave impropriety committed by U.S. Department of Defense AIDS researchers. We have obtained internal memoranda not previously, manipulate, uh, not previously made public from the Department of Defense that allege a systemic pattern of data manipulation, inappropriate statistical analysis, and misleading data pres uh, presentation by Army researchers in an apparent attempt to promote the usefulness of the GP160 AIDS vaccine, which is intended to prevent the progression of disease in persons with HIV infection. Well, the meeting on October 23rd, 1992, to discuss the allegations by two Air Force research physicians, which we talked about earlier, that was a clip, an excerpt from that memo, of scientific misconduct by Dr. Redfield, a subcommittee of the Institutional Review Committee, at the Wilford Hall U.S. Air Force Center, San Antonio, Texas, reached the following conclusion. Number one, the committee agreed the information presented by Dr. Redfield seriously threatens his credibility as a researcher and has the potential to negatively impact AIDS research funding for military institutions as a whole. His allegedly unethical behavior creates false hope and could result in a premature deployment of the vaccine. The memorandum decried the problem of misleading or possibly deceptive presentations by Dr. Redfield, which overstate the GP160 phase one data, quote, and recommended that the following action be taken. Publicly correct the record in a medium suitable for widespread dissemination to our civilian scientific colleagues. Censure Dr. Redfield for potential scientific misconduct and initiate an investigation by a fully independent outside investigative body. And that's when we get into who was a part of this. Dr. Redfield appeared before the subcommittee on February 24th, 1992, this time accompanied by Dr. Burke and Mr. Uh, Mr. Shepard Smith, president of Americans for a Sound AIDS Policy, a group that raises funds for HIV research and medical care. At the time, Dr. Redfield was chairman of ASAP's advisory board and Dr. Burke, not Dr. Burks, served on executive committees, both Lieutenant Colonel Deborah Burks, MD, Redfield's assistant, and Colonel retired Edmund Tremont also served on the board. So credibility issues lie there with Dr. Redfield and also with Deborah Burks. So we can't really trust that, can we? And then we have Dr. Fauci. 
So Dr. Fauci sat down with this Mexican comedian, and I've got four long clips, but they're very important. But let's start out with clip number one, because he thinks he's in this, you know, pretty much a, a benign, uh, open, unbiased forum that's probably going to be sympathetic to him. Listen to how it switches in the middle of the interview. Dr. Fauci! So, um, first question. Which of the COVID-19 vaccines have been officially approved by the FDA? Three of them. One from Moderna, which is the mRNA vaccine. One from Pfizer, which is another mRNA vaccine. And the other one is from J&J, Johnson & Johnson, which is a little bit different. It gives the same kind of response, but it's a little bit different. So there are three vaccines that have gotten emergency use authorization from the FDA so far. There are a couple of others that are still being tested to determine if they're safe and effective, but the three that I just mentioned have been shown in very large clinical trials involving anywhere from 30,000 to 44,000 people per trial were shown to be not only very efficacious, but quite safe. Okay, so I asked if it was approved by the FDA, uh, but I think that it's a different thing that to the, an emergency use authorization than a, an approval. So what is the difference between an emergency use authorization yeah. and an official approval by the FDA? Yes, that, that's a very good question. So an emergency use authorization is based on the criteria if the benefit clearly outweighs the risk and that you get a good degree of efficacy and safety. The, the full licensure is when you follow it for a longer period of time and you get more information and data. I have no doubt, given how very, very efficacious all three of these are, that they will ultimately get the full authorization in the sense of what's called a biological license approval. But an emergency use authorization is really uh, quite of an important step in the direction of getting it the official approval. So let me give you an example of how much confidence I have in the emergency use authorization. I myself got vaccinated with one of those three vaccines. Yeah, so he has questions about whether or not FDA approval is something to be concerned about because they just gave emergency use authorization. I mean, what's the difference? Oh, Fauci got vaccinated, so ah, it's a-okay. Here's video number two, and it gets even crazier. Okay, so but, but if, if the vaccines are safe and effective, why hasn't the FDA given any of them the full official approval and license? It, you know, actually, Eugenio, that, that is a very good question. There isn't like they have any problem with it. It just takes logistically a long time to get the approval. So when this is such a good product that you want to get it to people as quickly as possible because it's life-saving, you give it what's called an emergency use authorization. Not that there's anything less effective in it, you just takes a long time to get the full approval and rather than deprive people of getting a life-saving vaccine before all of the I's get dotted and the T's get crossed, they give it an emergency use authorization based on a lot of solid data that it works. 
What, what is the medical and legal responsibility of the companies that are making the vaccines? What happens if secondary effects are seen, let's say, in, in five or 10 years? Can I sue the manufacturer yeah. of the product if it hurts me or if there's long-term effects years down the road? You know, there is a fund that allows the uh, compensation for injury. But I have to tell you, Eugenio, that it's very, very, very unlikely that you're going to have an effect five or ten years down the pike. The reason we say that is that we have decades of experience in the field of vaccinology. And virtually all of the effects if they even occur, and they're very rare, occur within 15 to 45 days following the dose. Each of the companies had to wait 60 days before they were able to release it to be given to the people because the most of the bad effects, if they do occur, and I say it's extremely rare, they almost all occur between 15 and 45 days. Yeah, so why didn't the FDA give full approval? I mean, what is the liability? Can you sue the manufacturer? Now, they're going to have a government fund that will be as a shield, as a blanket away from litigation towards these people. And then, of course, you know, um, you'll just take it out of, the, out of the funds of the government because that's, they've got endless pockets of your tax money. But then they're saying, oh, well, it's very unlikely 10 to 15 years or 5 to 10 years from now there might be some sort of a after effects. Really? Do we know that? This isn't vaccinations that we're talking about here. This is a gene therapy, mRNA, changing genes or, or stimulating genes to fight. Here's video number three, and it gets even more convoluted for Mr. Fauci. Governments around the world are taking the liability, governments. But I'm right. talking about the manufacturer. If there's a problem... Can I sue the people that made the vaccine, not the government, the, the people that made the vaccine? Because I've heard they are protected from liability. You know, they are very sensitive about hurting people, but you can sue anybody you want to sue. There's no guarantee because it will be in a court that would decide whether or not you get compensation. But we but, have not had we have not had any issues with that in any of the other vaccines. But if I sue the, the manufacturer who pays for that, for that, yeah, for that is the government, not the company, is right? Right, right. Okay, okay, got it, got it. So uh, I've heard that even if healthy people have a very low risk of dying from COVID, they should still get the vaccine so they don't spread the virus to people who might be too old or too sick to get the vaccine. Is that true? That's absolutely true. So an example, if you're a young, healthy person, so you have a personal responsibility and a societal responsibility to protect yourself from getting infected. The, the vaccine lowers my symptoms, but it may not prevent me from being infected with SARS-CoV-2, which means right. there's the you, possibility that I can still spread the virus even after I receive right. the vaccine. Correct? That's the reason why, we, right. That's the reason why we ask you to wear a mask after you've been vaccinated. You still can get infected and you can still spread it. So right. I thought herd immunity works because by being vaccinated, I block the virus from spreading to other people. 
But this vaccine, this vaccine may not do that. So how does herd immunity work if I can still spread the virus even after getting the vaccine? Yeah, but the fact is the vaccine protects many, 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 many people from getting infected. So yeah, the government assumes the liability? Yeah, ask that 38-year-old who died about whether or not these things are safe. I mean, it's a personal and societal responsibility for you to take these things, but then you still have to wear the mask. And then he goes into herd immunity. Yeah, if herd immunity doesn't work, then what's the point in taking the vaccine? And let's get into the last video, video number four. Moderna and Pfizer are both mRNA vaccines. Correct. Has this kind of mRNA vaccine technology ever been injected into humans before? Well, this is the first time, and the good news is that the results are really, really good. Okay. But in essence, this is an experimental technology. Well, it's a new technology, and it is proven in a very large group of clinical trials to be safe and highly effective. Are you completely positive that this new technology is safe? I mean, how, how Every- can... We- How can we be sure there won't be long-term effects when these vaccines were seemingly developed so quickly and have only been tested for months and not years? The speed with which it's been done is a reflection of the extraordinary advances in science. And there was no compromise of safety. But as I said before, in the history of vaccinology, you don't see effects that occur years later, almost all of the bad effects, as rare as they are, and they are very rare, occur between 15 and 45 days from the time you get vaccinated. Last week, Catholic bishops warned the Catholic community that they should not use the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Can you explain why? Well, the, some, of the, some, not all, because there are Catholic bishops who are saying the opposite of that. And the reason is, in the preparation of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, they used a cell line that was taken from fetal tissue from years and years ago to be able to produce the vaccine. Sorry, is that true that there, there is a residual DNA from an aborted baby in the Johnson & Johnson no, vaccine? No, there's no residual DNA that gets injected into you at all. It's in the preparation of the vaccine. There is no residual human fetal DNA at all. Right. Have these ever been tried on humans? Uh, Doesn't sound like it, but this is one of these things that we're going to do. We're going to apply experimental tech on the entire population of the world. Oh, the first time, it's the first time it's ever happened. We've had great results, have you? Blood clots, a 38-year-old mother dying. I mean, what are the long-term effects You know, I mean, in the history of vaccines or vaccinology, he's saying that this is not you won't see immediate effect or long term effects. You'll just see immediate effects. And the aborted baby particles is really disturbing because that goes back to the whole thing with uh, with what was the name of the system lab? I can't remember the name of the group, the group that bought the aborted body parts from those people. those abortion clinics in in Planned Parenthood. And when he says, oh, well, they're not going to have any sort of human DNA from aborted fetal tissue, um, this is actually 
a fact sheet from healthcare providers administering the vaccine from FDA.government. Um, each dose may also contain residue on um, amounts of host cell proteins or a host cell DNA. So he's lying there as well. And that's disturbing that they're going to use aborted baby tissue on creating these gene therapies. Credibility is lost all across the board. In fact, the, the creator of the PCR test back in 2019 has some choice words and really questions the credibility of Dr. Fauci, and it should be alarming to listen to. What is it, what, what is it about humanity that, 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 that wants to go to the, all the details and stuff and listen? You know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking. You know, he doesn't know anything really about anything, and I'd say that to his face. Nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine. And he, doesn't, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people, and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem. That's a main problem, actually, with science, I'd say, in this century, because science is being judged by people. Funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it, because he's been asked. I mean, I've had a lot of people, president of the University of South Carolina, ask Fauci if he'd come down there and debate me on the stage in front of the student body because I wanted somebody who was from the other side to come down there and balance my, because I felt like, well, these guys can listen to me, but I need to have somebody else down here that's going to tell me the other side. But Fauci didn't want to do it. So right there, we're given early insight into the fraud that is Lord Fauci. And you know who has really been somebody who has been on Fauci's behind? He's been like a tick on his ass. That is Rand Paul. And it's really great because a lot of the uh, members of Congress are businessmen, mostly lawyers. Uh, Rand Paul actually has a medical background. Now he's an ophthalmologist, but I think general working knowledge of the medical field is something you have going in, you know? So listen to him a second time, a second hearing, grilling uh, Dr. Fauci over the fact that there's, uh, you know, calls for masks even after the vaccinations. And he's calling BS on it, going, show me where these vaccinations or herd immunity or if you've had the coronavirus before the the, uh, you know, the, the immunity from having it in the past. How is that something that we still need to mask for? 
Um, you know, of course, Fauci's going to go on about my variants, the new variants, the Tuscaloosa variant and the Ukrainian variants going to kill everybody because this is a year into 15 days to flatten the curve, a little over a year. And so it's almost like they're going to try to reboot the entire coronavirus based off of new variants. So listen to Rand Paul take Dr. Fauci to the woodshed. So rather than being pessimistic towards people gaining immunity after they've had COVID or had a vaccine, studies argue for significant optimism. In fact, there have been no scientific studies arguing or proving that infection with COVID does not create immunity. There have been no studies showing significant numbers of reinfections. Of the 30 million Americans who have had COVID, only a handful of reinfections have been discovered. In fact, the New York Times reported last fall more than 38 million people at the time worldwide had been infected with the coronavirus, and as of that date, fewer than five of these cases had been confirmed by scientists to be reinfections. Scientists interviewed for the article concluded, in most cases, a second bout with the virus produced milder symptoms or none at all. Given that no scientific studies have shown significant numbers of reinfections of patients previously infected or previously vaccinated, what specific studies do you cite to argue that the public should be wearing masks well into 2022? I'm not sure I understand the connection of what you're saying about masks and reinfection. We're talking about people who have never been infected before. You're telling everybody to wear a mask, whether they've had an infection or a vaccine. What I'm saying is they have immunity and everybody agrees they have immunity. What studies do you have that people that have had the vaccine or have had the infection are spreading the infection? If we're not spreading the infection, isn't it just theater? No, it's not. You had the vaccine and you're wearing two masks. Isn't that theater? No, that's not. Here we go again with the theater. Let's get down to the facts. Okay, the studies that you quote from Crotty and Sete look at in vitro examination of memory immunity, which in their paper they specifically say this does not necessarily pertain to the actual protection. It's in vitro. And what study Very, can you point to that shows significant let, reinfection? There are no studies that show just significant let, let, me, let me finish the response to your question, if you please. The other thing is that when you talk about reinfection and you don't keep in the concept of variance, that's an entirely different ball game. That's a good reason for a mask. In the South African study conducted by J&J, they found that people who were infected with wild type and were exposed to the variant in South Africa, the 351, it was as if they had never been infected before. They had no protection. So when you talk about reinfection, you've got to make sure you're talking about wild type. I agree with you that you very likely would have protection from wild type for at least six months if you're infected. But we in our country now have variants that are circulating. Significant reinfection. What study shows significant reinfection, hospitalization, and death after either natural infection or the vaccine. It doesn't exist. There is no evidence that there are significant reinfections after vaccine. In fact, I don't think we have a hospitalization in the United States after the two-week period after the second vaccination. We don't have a death in the United States. You're not hearing what I'm saying about variants. We're talking about wild-type 
versus variants. And what, now, proof is there, what proof is there that there are significant reinfections with hospitalizations and death from the variants? None in our country. Zero. Well, because we don't have a prevalent of a variant yet. We're having one. Can I finish? We're having well, one one seven conjecture. that's becoming more dominant. Policy based on conjecture. No, you it, have the. It isn't based that we're on conjecture. Variants, so you some you want people to wear a mask for another couple of years. No, you've been vaccinated and you parade around in two masks for show. No, you can't get it again. There's almost there's virtually zero percent chance you're going to get it, and yet you're telling people with them that have had the vaccine who have immunity. You're defying everything we know about immunity by telling people to wear a mask who've been vaccinated. No. Instead, you should be saying there is no science right. to say we're going to have a problem from the large number of people being vaccinated. You want to get rid of vaccine hesitancy? Tell them they can quit wearing their mask after they get the vaccine. Okay. You want people to get the vaccine? Give them a reward instead of telling them that the nanny state's going to be there for three more years and you got to wear a mask. Right. You want people to go along with this? Show them that whatever crazy new tech, biotech you've made with this vaccine is something that's actually going to be effective enough not to wear the mask. Rand Paul makes a good point. And there's no evidence of these new variants, my new variants. You know, again, we're one year anniversary into the 15 days of flatten the curve. And we're trying to remanufacture and reboot hysteria for continued fear. <laughs> and you got to remember, this is the same guy that moved the goalpost the entire time. Uh, he talked about in the New England Journal of Medicine. Oh, yeah, the coronavirus. It's kind of like the flu. And then he turned around and said, oh, it's nothing like the flu. Of course, then he says you shouldn't wear a mask. And then he said, oh, you should wear a mask, maybe two masks. And the guy is a fraud. So we can take a trip down to memory lane back in January 2020 and listen to him talk about how we shouldn't wear a mask before the lockdowns, before the hysteria. And what's interesting is he always says at this moment, as though he knows pretty soon we're going to have to shift to the mask mandates. But at this moment... It's not there because what they did back in January was try to exacerbate the entire thing. That's where Nancy Pelosi is saying, hey, come on down to Chinatown. That's where Cuomo's talking about the Chinese New Year celebration there in, in, in Times Square. Oh, come on down. It's not a big deal. Go out and shop. De Blasio's telling you to go out and shop. Fauci's telling you, eh, no mask, not a big deal. Because when the models came through, they said millions of people are going to die. And that's when they scared the crap out of everybody, hoping that the numbers would be high. And then they shifted gears and did things to really set the narrative. So let's take a trip back and listen to Dr. Fauci's wisdom on the same mask that he's saying Rand Paul should wear back in January of 2020. Information surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important. There's a lot of confusion among people and misinformation surrounding face masks. Can you discuss that? The masks are important for someone who's infected to prevent them from infecting someone else. Now, when you see people and look at the films in China and South Korea, whatever, everybody's wearing a mask. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it, because people are listening really no, closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. 
And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. The people who, when you look at the films of foreign countries and you see 85% of the people wearing masks, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not against it. If you want to do it, that's fine. But it can lead to a shortage it, of masks. Exactly. That's the point. It could see. lead to a shortage of masks for the people who really need it. Again, Fauci is all over the place. That was where his stance was at the beginning. And people can say, well, you know, we didn't know what we were dealing with in the beginning. But then he switched to, yeah, let's wear the mask. And then he talks about the double mask. And then he talks about how we can't get together for Easter of last year. We can't get together for spring break. Can't get together for Fourth of July. But then, oh, yeah, peaceful protest, you know. George Floyd, yeah, we can protest. Breonna Taylor, we can get out there and do social justice warrior protesting. That's completely fine. Um, everything about this guy's a fraud. Everything about the CDC and Dr. Retfield is a fraud. Everything about Dr. Burks, Ms. Face Shield. Remember, she said, you can wear a face shield and you can bedazzle it. And then come to find out she got busted taking a trip to go see her parents and without any mask and outside the lockdown mandates, and so she resigned. Everything about these people are frauds. And the fact that they're so frantic over making sure that you get your vaccine and there's calls for vaccine passports, they're not going to let you go to baseball games and concerts and dine in restaurants. You're going to have to show your vaccine passport like it's a freaking ice bucket challenge on Instagram. Look at me and my passport. My vac- I got all both vaccines. Maybe I need a third vaccine. Or maybe I get the Johnson & Johnson with the aborted baby parts. But look, here's my vaccine card. Never mind all the other HIPAA laws are still in place. You're, you're not... Your employer can't ask you about your medical background, but with coronavirus, eh, seems to be an exception. There's a lot about it. And again, I'm not against you taking the vaccine. I'm just making the case that there's some skepticism behind it. And the push for it seems to be very based on emotion. It's not based on thought out, uh, uh, you know, reasoned rationale it's based on oh hurry up and get it we need to save the world everybody has to have it 100 of the people need to be vaccinated and which is completely impossible but the type of vaccinations that they're doing the type of technology is really unfounded not fda approved and it's being pushed through kind of like what they did with the obamacare bill at 2 a.m on a christmas morning where nobody read the bill, kind of like the porculus bill that they did on a Saturday night, 2 a.m. again, nobody read the bill. It's 5,000 pages long. When you operate on emotion, you're going to make rash decisions. And if people want to pass things or shove things or instill things or get you to do things that you normally wouldn't do, they issue it to you in the midst of panic, in the midst of chaos. And that's how they get their way. So just be skeptical of it. If it's something you feel you want to do, go ahead. But at the same time, I have to question why they're doing this in the midst of panic, confusion, and chaos. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart. Tune in. You can also get the Roku channel in your free streaming store. Uh, Go to the Roku streaming store channel and get the free Adrian Slade show 
Roku channel. And you can also check out the blog, adrianslade.com. If you'd like to donate, anchor.fm slash adrianslade slash support is where you can go to donate. And you can also leave a message for the show, 1-929-GO-GO-USA. That's 1-929-GO-GO-USA or go to anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade and leave a message for the show. And we might even play it on there. God bless. We'll see you next time.